0: I think like really no UX writer is a single player. It's always teamwork and it doesn't matter if you're a native speaker or not. You need the other pair of eyes.
1: This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX
0: writers and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets.
1: Hello and welcome to Writers in Tech, a podcast brought to you by the UX Writing Hub, an education platform for UX writers from all over the world. My name is Yuval, I'm the founder of the UX Writing Hub, and today I have a very special guest. Her name is Kalina Tirkil. Kalina is a UX content strategist at Beans, which is a marketplace for coffee, and she's going to explain us more about it. And Kalina is also a public speaker. Hey Kalina, how are you?
0: Hello, Yuval. I'm so happy to be here. I'm all good. I'm currently in Kraków, Poland, which is where I'm based. And I'm also a part of the same community as Peter Jan was also involved with the UX Writing Hub, and he introduced me to this podcast. So I'd like to start with a big thank you for Peter Jan. And when it comes to who I am, I like to say that I am a psychologist by training and a UX writer by trade. And I think it's a, a good way to describe myself very briefly in just one sentence. And yes, currently I am working as a UX content strategist for Beans, which is a again, a coffee marketplace startup. And I'm, I've am i just started, well, to be honest, I think only a month ago or so, but I'm really excited about this because I'm a, like a huge coffee geek myself. And I'm really happy to be like, you know, connecting both of my passions in, in one place. So it sounds like a really interesting project that I'm going to continue throughout the next months and probably years to come as well.
1: Amazing. Like I have my coffee right here next to me so
0: yeah. yeah
1: speaking of coffee uh, and yeah definitely shout out to peter Jan. he was like a student in our second cohort and then like it was so good so we like we took him as a mentor at some point and we've been working with him for the past few years and it's a lot of fun so thank you peter Jan. we love you peter told me that you had a really cool talk about writing for non-native english speakers which is a topic that i really like because i'm not a native english speaker i am a writer some people. From all over the world tend to kind of say that I'm not a writer because I'm not a native English speaker or I'm not allowed to write in English or anything like that. So I'd love to have your take on that. Like, what's your take about like writing, UX writing for non-native English speakers?
0: Well, I really think there's like a lot to unpack here. And I think you already mentioned like a lot of like this interesting topic, both about writing for non native speakers and being a non native UX writer like yourself. And of course, I think in English, there's also this thing that you have much more sources, more books, more websites, like the UX writing hub, like more places to learn from. And the UX writing field in English is way more mature. Like, there it's well way more established. So this is what also makes it much easier.
1: I agree, like the uh, community aspect is definitely a big deal, you know, to chat with many more people that are doing it. And also, um, yeah, also it's difficult for me specifically to write in English. It's way more difficult than to write in Hebrew because like in Hebrew I can write really fast and in English it takes me maybe like 10% of the time it takes me to write in Hebrew but the fact that i can communicate with way more people and learn from way more people just drive me to do it in english so okay we have many people here in the audience few of them are non-native english speakers that are looking for a job few of them are working in companies right now and they're hiring and they don't know like okay so we're not sure about this person should we hire them they're not native english speakers it there's it sounds like they're great UX people but we don't know if they are great at writing in english maybe they will have like grammar mistakes maybe they wouldn't do as great job as a native english speaker so these are the people in the audience so What can we teach those people about working with a non-native English speaking UX writer?
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, before I jump into that, I think I have an interesting like personal story that gives a nice background of what it's like to to get hired as a non-native UX writer. So it was like, a couple of years back like quite a long time ago i got this job offer at a local startup and they were looking for an english speaking content designer like with a bit of ux writing at the time like the field of ux writing in poland wasn't that mature a couple of years back but like it was like about content design and basically UX writing pos- position in many aspects. So anyway, like they wanted someone to write in English and I answered the invitation. I went to take part in the interview. I did some like tasks and it seemed like everything is going really well, like headed in the right direction. But like if you're like if anyone is experienced with job interviews, you know that you can never be hundred percent sure, and this was always also true in this particular case. Because despite everything going like really well, they came back to me and saying that they decided to hire a native speaker, even though they were less experienced, but a native speaker. And I wasn't really like surprised at the time. I knew this is how things work, so it just rolled off my back. I could say, and uh, I like I went on with my work with my life and. But that's not the end of the story because this is like a couple of months have passed and I was supposed to start another job. Like I was supposed to start a new job in a few days and the company, the same company reached out to me again. And they were like, this time they were ready to hire me on the spot because it turned out that the native speaker is not good enough. And the person actually turned out to be like a huge Overpromise promise and under-delivery, they were not happy at all. And they kind of learned that being a native speaker, although can be an advantage, obviously, is not really the main thing they should care about. And at this stage, I declined the offer because I was already involved with another company and was starting another job. And to be honest, I can't really blame their day for the decision because this is how it was. Like the narrative was like, if you want good English, you need to hire a native speaker. But luckily, I think it's changing nowadays. And people kind of realize that, you know, like making sure you don't have any grammar mistakes that your writing is, doesn't sound like you know, like weird, non-native, this can be done with a set of tools and some other skills like content design skills, content strategy skills are much harder uh, to find than just just making sure that you're writing, you know, correctly without grammar or spelling mistakes.
1: I agree. And what do you do when you have like grammatical challenges uh, and spelling challenges? Like, do you use any tool that help you with that? Or you have like an editor in your team? How does it work exactly?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I would love the luxury of having an editor And uh, right now because I'm working in a very small team and I used to work with native speakers and that was certainly very helpful. So I think it's really great to work with a native speaker at some point in, during your career. But there is a set of tools you can use to make sure that you're choosing the right words. And my toolbox consists of, first of all, ludwig.guru. It's a great website I really love. And it really helps me make sure that I'm using the right Phrase that sounds good and natural, and also there is Reverso Context, this website which kind of helps you translate certain phrases. It works for for Polish, for I think German, French, Spanish, like other popular European languages, there is like with one note, like uh, reversal context is not always certain, like 100% correct because it has like this very large, not always verified base of phrases. So I think it's best to compare Ludwig and reversal context and kind of to figure out what would what be the best way. And the third thing I use to make sure are uh, English language uh, corpuses. And there are like, of course like American corpuses, British corpuses, but the one I use most is Globe, which stands for corpus of global web-based English. And when you basically when you type a phrase or a sentence, you get or a word or some something like you want to check, you get like results from different like versions of English, you could say. You get like British English, you get American, you get New Zealand, you get like other different local variations, and you can check where it's the most popular. So it also gives you like this global wow. overview. It's super, super helpful.
1: Amazing. I've just opened ludwig.guru. Uh-huh. So I see here like this search engine for language in front of me. Yeah. So... Let's say that I need to write right now a CTA, for example, or I don't know, like, can you give me an idea of how can I use it as a content designer?
0: Well, actually, I'm going to check what I what I was checking lately. I don't have any history right now in this one, but it, let's say like the, it gives you like this example, like several options are on the table and you're not sure if it sounds naturally. So you just put put it into search, and then you see like these things in context. You see how it was used on websites or in newspapers, and you see if this is the right context you were thinking about. And actually, if you're, uh, you can also use it to compare the frequency of what is like more frequent, what is probably like easier to understand for the audience. Um, And also, like I sometimes use it to to find like a missing words, like if I want to like fill in the, I have an idea for a phrase. And I can use the asterisk to find, like, proposed words to fill in the blank. So this is another thing I, I do. And when it comes to CTAs, like, I usually keep them, like, quite simple. And if I want to, I just put the CTA here and I see where someone has used a similar expression. So this is also, like, very helpful.
1: Nice. Yes, I'm I'm definitely checking, like, the on-the-table version. And they also, like, taking a database of different, like... A newspapers that use this specific term in the past and then they show me how the guardian and the new york times and the economist how they use them so also
0: yeah they also get wiki how quite frequently or like they i think they also have TechCrunch, like tech websites so this is also helpful if you work, if you work for like the tech industry
1: nice so ludwig.go to check your phrases in context that's Brilliant, and you said another tool which is a uh, context reversal.
0: Yes, like reversal that context, and it's uh, it's kind of like Ludwig, only I think with a slightly bigger base, and it works better if I want to like translate some phrase from Polish, but again, like it's not always one hundred percent trustworthy, so it's always best to check it in like two places, like try Reverso and Ludwig, or Reverso and and some English language corpus.
1: And what do you do if you have like a- A grammar dilemma, like grammatical dilemma, or it's in your case, you have like perfect grammar or you have like grammar that is okay.
0: Well, I believe my grammar is pretty good, but there's always like, you know, there are like certain instances where you actually need to check something. So there is, uh, so either the English corpus, I like to like try different phrasing, or sometimes English stack exchange where people ask questions. But to be honest, like the simpler the language you use, like if you stick to plain language principles, it's actually quite rare that you need to check the grammar and like for basic grammar stuff like for basic checks I just use Grammarly or for you know like catching the obvious mistakes. I,
1: ha- I still have for some reason a lot of grammatical errors it's something that is really difficult for me maybe it's because the last time I learned about grammar was maybe in high school And since then I learned like conversational English and when I need to like sit down and think about the rules when I write, it's really hard for me to learn them. So is there a resource that you can recommend, like if you want to kind of have that grammatical mindset for non-native English speakers that want to know?
0: Mm, I believe Grammarly has been like a huge step for me. Like I've been using it since like the very early stages of my professional career, and you know, like being used to, and then like being used to, you know, to checking, uh, to double checking everything. And when I saw what Grammarly is highlighting, I kind of learned that these things don't work. So this kind of helps spot some of the most common mistakes I make.
1: Got it. All right, very cool. So this is a really interesting tool set that you have in your belt. Pretty cool, and I'm definitely going to use them myself. So thank you for the recommendations. All right, so. What other tips can you give me as a person that is a non native English speaking UX writer?
0: Well, I think being a non native speaking UX writer, like the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about it is like both a blessing and a curse. And this is how I treat it. Like it gives me some advantages that native speakers don't usually have. Like, for example, the fact that I have, you know, like this more natural feel for localization. Like when I translate stuff, it's like I used to write both english and polish microcopy for the same product at the same time so this gave me like more context and like you know i have more things in mind i'm thinking about how it's going to be translated how it's going to be localized into a different language so i think this is like really nice to have and it gives it makes you a better professional overall and there was one article I've read, it was written by Dragana Milovanovic, she's a Serbian. She's also a UX writer, content designer, and she's uh, worked in English for like a long time. She also has like the CPE certificate, which is like the highest English language certificate you can get. And she's had like very similar uh, to mine, like she's seen that job as said that being a native speaker is required and sometimes she... Also hears that being that something is a native speaker job, even though it's like technically her job, so there's like this certain narrative in place. But another advantage she points out, and I think it's also like good to have that in mind, that when English is your when English is your second language, you tend to use plain language more intuitively. it just comes easily, you just naturally express yourself in a more plain way. And you also
1: use like less slang and metaphors. Would you agree on that? Yes. As a non-native English UX writer, I feel like that, um, first of all, most native English speakers speak only one language, which is English. Uh, And just, you know, I'm a native Hebrew speaking person. So we have a lot of rules that do not apply to English, like right to left writing
0: Probably the biggest difference right I was I've always wondered because like polish is also like okay it's different in many ways but like the many like of the mechanics are very similar while Hebrew is like a whole different thing when, like just by the way it looks
1: exactly and also the just like you said about in the beginning about gender right we talked about that like okay so yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. in Hebrew also if you say you to a, a female versus you to a male, So that would be a different word. And that makes everything really complicated because every object even have masculine or feminine, even like a book or a table, everything. And, And it's really hard to create a personal communication channel with someone when you need to speak plural all the time. And even when you speak plural, You still have plural for men and plural for women, which is really difficult because if you're standing in front of many females and you're speaking like plural male, that means that um, it wasn't the right choice of words and it's really challenging. And I feel like the fact that as a person that uh, speaks Hebrew, I need to kind of... uh, Meet with those challenges, I feel like a good thing. It makes me a better UX writer, even in English, because I have like more kind of ideas about how to address the same idea from different angles. So that's about that. But in the same time, the curse, like you said, <laughs> is that I have grammatical errors and I have, and I can't find the right context from time to time. And I write something that makes total sense in Hebrew, but wouldn't make any sense in English. And that's the uh, the course. So I definitely agree with you that it's a blessed but also a course.
0: Yeah, like definitely can make things harder at times, but I'm really like, you know, like grateful, like for all the people who make these tools, who make these tools like to help you overcome this, you know, like these limitations you have. And I think this is what makes you a uh, a non-native writer a good professional like being aware of your limitations and having like strategies to address them so i think this what this is what can help you when you're like being recruited uh, at a company like when you present your process i really like deeply believe that if you if you're being asked about how you work as a ux writer and if you have a you know like an ready answer like if you know how to overcome your limitations this is what makes you a really good professional so if if there are like people listening who are non-natives and would like to land a land a good job, I think this is what can really be helpful to build like this toolbox, like a, you know, a set of tools to just to just work on on your limitations, basically. Yeah,
1: that makes sense. But to be honest, there is like a fine line that is a bit dangerous here. For example, let's say I'm recruiting right now this UX writer from Spain and they are UX writers have a lot of experience in UX writing uh, and they're really professional but their English level like you know there's a really fine line here about the right amount of English right because maybe if they are 80% or 90% in the English like they don't know how to structure grammatically a, a sentence in the right way so it will be kind of Difficult to hire them, right? So,
0: yes, of course, like there is a certain level when you kind of become, uh, you know, like kind of like self sufficient enough to just work by yourself. But another, another, you know, uh, solution I've seen. Is that you have UX writers who are non-native speakers? They have like a, this very solid UX writing skill set, but there are, all, let's say, other teams in the company. Let's say there's a marketing team who has a native speaker, and this is where you can combine these forces. You can use the native speaker from the other team just to make sure that you know the right words are being used, while the UX writer has other advantages, and this is where I think it's nice and complementary.
1: Great, but you need to involve somehow that marketing person in the process and maybe the marketing department will say wait but we don't have we can't do that right now
0: yeah obviously like i am fully aware this could be problematic i just know like companies that work that uh, that way and are happy with the arrangement because you know with the time the ux writer will become more self-sufficient they will learn like they will be more aware of their limitations and they will know how to address them so i think this is what will help them become you know like fully fully functional professionals at the start and really like depends on the structure of the organization this can be addressed in many in different ways and this is like certainly a problem and there are like certain ways to to solve that but on the other hand you can have a native speaker with not so you know with not so good like writing or content skills and this also takes some work so the, there could be like you know like two different situations
1: right and in my opinion there is a huge benefit to have like two sets of eyes on one piece of writing like you know one person that is not native English speaker that is the writer and one native English speaker editor that just like kind of goes with the checklist and see that everything is fine, and also that the messaging makes sense,
0: yeah, I think the, this is like the ideal situation and i i've I would really love you know for it to be true and it's, it's at most companies. But I think also it's worth, you know, like noting that most of the time, like you're writing for non-native speakers as well. So you need to keep things, you know, plain enough, simple enough. And there are tools that will help you catch like the biggest errors, like the most significant mistakes. Right. And at many times it will just be enough. And when it comes to writing for, you know, like for native speakers or non native speakers. I got this like very interesting insight from from Anya Wedberg who's also involved with the Use Writing Hub.
1: Right. It's
0: like collecting Shout out to
1: Anya. Yeah. Our content strategist.
0: <laughs> yep. And uh, we were also like discussing because I was collecting like the, I was asking other non-native speakers for their experience, about their experience when I was like preparing for the presentation, the conference. And Anya uh, told me about the book. She's read a book, but by David Crystal, a linguist. I can't remember the name of the book, but it was like his thoughts, like the ideas he's promoting. And he mentioned that there are like, what, like 400 million native speakers of English. But on the other hand, you have 2 billion people that are non-native English speakers. So the population is like much larger. And here's the question, like, is it even important to write like 100% like a native? And on the other hand, like, there's another question, like, which variation of English and be considered like the native you want, because like most people think about British or American or Australian, while still you get South Africa, you get Singapore, you get all of these other countries that also use English, but it's not so much in demand. So this is also something to, to keep in mind.
1: Do you remember the name of that book? I just
0: remember the name of the author. It was David Crystal. And I think it was one of his popular books
1: so the name of the book is oh you have many books obviously okay
0: Yeah, i can look into it and then later we can add it to the description
1: too. yes i'll ask kanya you have a little book of language How language works let's talk okay he wrote a lot of books okay i'll ask kanya
0: he's like a big you know like he promotes the idea and that english and like language is like beautifully diverse and like has like many local variations so maybe it's also something to consider, like to be more open towards like different, you know, local variations in writing as well. And it's also like, you know, it's obviously like comes with a lot of more, more costs. But when you think like, t- when you look at, let's say, Apple, you get, you don't get like one, you know, like global English, you get a lot of these like local variations.
1: I agree. All right. Thank you for putting the name of David Crystal up. I'm definitely going to check his books. Anya also told me about it, so I'm going to check it for sure. It's on my wish list, my listen list. Awesome. All right, so we're about to finish the episode, Kalina. First of all, thank you so much. I learned a lot about like the, the processes of working as a non-native English speaker, UX writer that writes in English. To be honest, here in the UX Writing Hub, we have an editor and myself. So I'm writing and then our, our editor is like kind of editing all of the content that I create and then like when we work with clients. So they get a really interesting finalized product because Aron is also a front end developer, so he knows how to, to take it from the string. So it's like a really interesting kind of way to do that. Oh, actually,
0: like now that you said it, I think there's another thing I would really like to add. And this is like the thoughts that's really close to me that I think like really no UX writer is a single player. It's always teamwork and it doesn't matter if you're a native speaker or not. You always work with other people. You need, as you said, it, you need the other pair of eyes. So it's always a set of different talents. So, uh, yeah, I think it's also in line with what you said.
1: Thank you. And how do you think we should name this episode?
0: Well, the idea of both a blessing and a curse is certainly like quite close to me, so <laughs> I, like I, it. I stick to
1: that. Non-native English-speaking writers: a blessing or a curse? Something like that.
0: A bit of both. Probably,
1: I will have to edit it and make it a bit shorter, but something like that definitely can work.
0: Yeah, I think that I think that's suitable.
1: Karin, thank you so much. If people want to reach out to you, where would be the best place to find you?
0: Well, I think both LinkedIn or Facebook, whatever works best for you.
1: Nice. I'm going to add those to the show notes. And that's about it for today. So first of all, Karina, thank you so much for being here today. I learned a ton and you gave me a lot of motivation to keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, because I'm telling you, a few people told me, listen, you're not an, a writer. You have grammatical errors. You're not a writer. You can't write.
0: Oh, you know, I think on the final note, I think I actually know a very good Polish UX writer and a trainer, Wojtek Aleksandr, and he Yes,
1: says, yes. I know. And
0: he says openly that he's, he also has, like, I I think dyslexia, something like along these lines, like this, this let's say, neurodiving. And I think even when you make, uh, you know, grammatical errors or any kind of spelling errors in, in your own language, that doesn't make you any less of a writer like he's still a brilliant professional a great trainer he's just yeah. aware of it and i think it really makes him a better an even better writer because he's aware of the limitations like the audience like the users the readers might have so this is also like a part of himself and it's like perfectly fine so just on the side note
1: Nice. Yeah. I'm actually following his work for years now. He's one of the first people in our Facebook group and even wrote once for our blog about the true cost of UX writing like a really cool blog article. One of the first ones that we've uploaded. So
0: I think could be called the founding father of your writing in Poland somehow. Yeah, yeah,
1: I definitely agree, and I didn't knew that even, you know. So that's that's great to hear. That it's highly motivating, and this talk today was really motivating for me personally, and I'm really happy that you've took the time to speak with me today.
0: I'm more than happy to, to to be here as I said and I'm really hope that this w- will also be motivating to other people who listen. So I'm uh, thank you for uh, thank you Yval, for the talk and thank you. I uh, thank you for listening and I hope this has been uh, interesting for you.
1: Thank you very much. So thank you for joining us for another episode of Writers in Tech brought to you by the UX Writing Hub a platform that teaches UX writers Uh, We have a blog, we have a newsletter, a weekly newsletter. We don't miss a week. And we have also a free course on our website. Check it out. And don't uh, hesitate to leave us a positive review in Apple Podcast as well. I've heard that it increased the likelihood that other people will find us. That's about it for today. See you next time. Bye.